WHHH-FM Indianapolis. It's time to take a look at what's going on in and around Indy. It's Open Lines, your eye on the community on High 96.3. Hold up. And good morning to you, Indianapolis. I'm Indy's newsman, Cameron Riddle. It is Sunday, December 12th, 2021. And this morning, we are going to spend a good portion of the show looking back at the year 2021 with Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Mears. He's on our live line. We'll talk to him in a few minutes. Uh, And we will look back and review 2021, but also look ahead to 2022. We'll talk about what worked, what didn't. Of course, as you know, it's been a record-breaking year for uh, homicides in the beautiful city of Indianapolis. But there have also been a number of other things that have happened, both good and bad. Uh, and we'll talk about it all, but we also want to hear from you. So I'll get a chance to ask some questions to the prosecutor. And then I'm going to open the phone lines up because he literally is here because he wants to hear what the community uh, has to say about the year 2021 and what they would like to see for 2022. So the prosecutor, Ryan Mears, is coming up here in just a moment. But also this morning, around 845, I have all of the details on a Christmas giveaway for parents out there, for your kids. Thousands of people can show up to a location that I'll tell you about later in the show, and you can get everything you need uh, for your kids for Christmas. Uh, They've got room for thousands of people. Uh, The details on that Christmas giveaway, where you need to go, where you need to be, who you need to bring, what you need to do. We will have the details, all of that, when we talk with Alicia Jackson coming up this morning at 845. All right, we'll be taking your calls here in a few moments. But first, let's get you caught up on what's happening today in the news. Indiana Task Force One has deployed to Mayfield, Kentucky, to provide assistance in the aftermath of the devastating tornadoes that ripped through the Midwest and the South this weekend. Three search dogs are also among the members who are making that trip. They all specialize in live search and rescue and human remains detection. Human remains detection, that is. Fifteen members from the Indianapolis Fire Department, four members from the IMPD, and eight civilians will also be on that trip. An additional members of Task Force One come from 16 different departments around the state. They're also getting there, courtesy of four bus drivers and two mechanics. Several Indiana lawmakers are getting ready to introduce proposals on marijuana this season. Marijuana legalization has been discussed for years among some lawmakers, but previous proposals haven't even made much progress. But Governor Eric Holcomb says he is not opposed to legalizing marijuana in Indiana, but he wouldn't do it until it is legalized at the federal level. In the meantime, Holcomb says he would like to see Indiana's research universities research the issue of medical marijuana. IU Health is asking for assistance from Indiana's National Guard as COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations are increasing across the state. Data from the Indiana State Department of Health shows COVID-related hospitalizations increased more than 20% in the last week. The current COVID wave is the worst that we have seen since this time last year when daily cases are often going above 5,000. Again, 5,000 for the day while hospitalizations, hospitals that is, are dealing with the most COVID patients that they have seen since 
January of 2021. The state says Indiana's statewide vaccination rate is now approaching 70%. And the forecast will be dry with a high of 48. We'll see mostly sunny skies today. Overnight lows will drop back into the 30s, but Monday we warm back up to 55 degrees. Right now, it is 30 degrees in Indy. At 8.04 on this Sunday morning, it is time to take uh, some time to review 2021. We're getting to the end of, of the year. Uh, this year went by way faster than 2020, but no doubt uh, was not any less eventful. Of course, here in the city, we have talked uh, a number of times uh, on a weekly basis almost about uh, the crime that we are seeing in the city of Indianapolis, we are hitting, we have already hit uh, the record breaker. We've already topped out uh, from last year. We've There have been more homicides in 2021 than there were in 2020. Uh, so we are breaking records for the wrong reasons, and we're making national headlines for the wrong reasons. But there are also some good things that are happening in the city. It's not all gloom and doom. Yes, there is a big problem, but uh, there are some good things that are happening in the criminal justice world. Uh, and so to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly is Prosecutor Ryan Mears. He joins us on our live line this morning. Good morning, Prosecutor. Good morning. Uh, good, good to be on the show again, and thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about these issues. Absolutely. So it's 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 been a busy year. Uh, as I said, it's been a record-breaking year. Prosecutor, when you look at 2021, uh, when you look at it in your rearview mirror, what stands out to you? Well, I, I think, you know, as you sit down and you kind of review the, the year, the, the biggest thing for us is, is obviously the violence and uh, the uptick in homicides and non-fatal shootings. And, you know, what's the driving cause or what's the motivating factor of those issues? Uh, and so that's what we're really trying to spend a lot of time and energy is to figure out what we can do to hopefully make a difference and have a positive impact on those numbers. Uh, and, and, you know, that's where our energy is going and that's where our efforts are going to go, uh, to get to some of those root causes and try to figure out what role is appropriate for the prosecutor's office to play, uh, in those discussions, uh, about some of those root causes that, that are motivating, uh, some of the violence. And, and so that's what we're spending a lot of time on. Um, we're also looking at, you know, once we actually get into the courtroom, what do those prosecutions look like? Who are we prosecuting? And, and what are good outcomes for not only that person, but for the community as a whole. And, and so, uh, as, as you mentioned, there were some good things that happened this year. There are certainly some bad, and we've identified some areas where I think we can improve. And we also uh, understand, you know, maybe some things that we do pretty well that uh, hopefully will be uh, a huge benefit to the community. Uh Personally, uh, how has it been for you? You know, you've had to deal with multiple mass murder scenes that have happened uh, in this city. Um, and and they're all heartbreaking. They're difficult to understand. Uh, what was it like for you? I believe we had three in the past year uh, of different what what police consider to be a mass murder scene. Uh, how was that for you to handle? Well, I think that those are those are the toughest because you know we see violence increase everywhere in in our country, uh, and and you've seen the the numbers increase everywhere uh, across the country. But why is it that Indianapolis has had these these multiple mass shootings? 
where you have a number of casualties uh, that we don't necessarily or typically see uh, across the country. And that's one of the things that has distinguished us from other cities around uh, around the country. And uh, those are the ones that you just really, really become difficult to deal with and comprehend how that level of violence can originate from, from one person and, and why are people engaged in, in this type of violence. And, you know, you just have multiple families who are dealing with tremendous loss at the same time from the same circumstance. Uh, it can be overwhelming for, to everybody involved in, in the situation and everybody involved in the process. And so, you know, I think the role that, that we can hopefully play is, number one, try to get those family resources, uh, but two, try to help with this process uh, as people try to navigate the criminal justice system, which is, is not only always a system that uh, is intuitive or makes sense to people or always makes victims feel, feel welcome. And, and that's something that uh, we're trying to do a better job of. So... Uh... As you said, you know, we, we, those are all difficult to understand. And usually hindsight is twenty twenty. But with these mass murder situations, hindsight has not always brought all of the clarity. It has showed uh, some more signs and some more paths, but it doesn't always make everything uh, crystal, crystal, crystal clear. I want to ask you about the FedEx um, shooting, uh, the, the mass shooter's mother. Uh, said that she had reached out to police multiple times and uh, she was literally begging for help saying that, hey, there's an issue with my son. I think he's going to do something bad. Um, they said they raised red flags were raised um, and and certain folks are pointing to your office as uh, maybe dropping the ball and ignoring those red flags. As difficult as it is for you to uh, deal with the FedEx shooting and 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 everything that you saw and uh, in that entire situation, when you look back, uh, what do you have to say to folks who say that uh, the prosecutor's office or the police ignored what were red flags that were raised? Well, I, I, I don't think anybody necessarily ignored the situation. I, I think the, the question becomes, you know, what what is an appropriate outcome or what's a, an, an appropriate result? And, you know, I think what this case highlights is that if you have an individual who does have mental health issues, what are the options available to people to get someone into meaningful services to address those mental health challenges? Uh, and that's, you know, hopefully we're in a solution-oriented business, and that's what people are looking for. And we, as a prosecutor's office, don't have a way to uh, put someone or order someone to get mental health services under the current confines of the law. And, and that's what this individual needed was uh, they needed treatment. They needed something to address the underlying cause. And the way it's the, the things are currently constructed from a resource uh, perspective, from a facility perspective, it's really difficult to get someone in and to get those services. And, and so, you know, certainly people have, you know, been more than happy to, to point fingers at different individuals. But hopefully we're looking at, well, what could have changed the, the trajectory of this person's life? And a big part of that is how do you get people who have mental health needs, acute mental health issues, uh, into meaningful services? And that's a real challenge, whether it's the prosecutor's office, law enforcement, or family members who are dealing with individuals who are struggling uh, with mental health issues. All right. Uh, we are on the air this morning with 
Prosecutor Ryan Mears taking a look back at 2021 and then looking forward to 2022. Uh, prosecutor, I'm already hitting you with uh, hard questions here at the beginning of this. Um, but but let me ask you some more. Um, and, and I want to ask you about some things that your critics say. And we don't have to name them. You probably, you're probably going to know who I'm talking about, but we don't have to name those uh, critics. But several of them are blaming you. Uh, and they have mentioned you by name. Uh, saying that some of the decisions that your office has made have contributed to Indy's record-breaking crime. Uh, they say too many people who turned out to be violent criminals were released out of jail or just not charged uh, with uh, a previous crime, and then they go out and they kill somebody. Um, is that fair? This is what some of your critics say, that your office is part of the problem with uh, – bringing people in and then at the end of the day they're turned around out of the jail and they're sent right back out to go commit more crime a certain critic of yours blames you directly for that is that fair well it, it not only is it not fair it's not accurate uh if if you look at it right now we have 186 pending homicide cases in in marion county uh of those 186 cases there were 31 individuals uh, who were out on bond at, at the time that the, the homicide occurred. Uh, of those 31 cases where there were pending cases, only nine of those cases were major felonies. Uh, and in many of the cases that, that have generated the, the publicity and the concern amongst people in the community, uh, the Marion County Prosecutor's Office objected to those individuals being released. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's, it's a lazy narrative that doesn't really address the challenges or reflect the, what's going on in our community right now. Uh, and, and so, you know, th that's certainly what, what people can say, but, uh, it's not true. And what's more important to me is, are we treating people fairly when they encounter the criminal justice system? And what are we doing to try to help people when they do have that contact with the criminal justice system? And, you know, overcharging people and, quote unquote, being aggressive on low level offenses uh, doesn't necessarily improve the community. And it also creates more harm than good. And, and so when when people say that, they just need to look at the numbers and, and what actually takes place and who ultimately ends up being charged uh, with a homicide here in Marion County, uh, because it just doesn't uh, add up to, to what people are suggesting. Uh, let's talk about that lazy narrative that you just mentioned for uh, for a second. And and I've heard it, and I've heard other interviews that you've done recently. Um, and and there's the the narrative is, and if you look on Twitter and all this jazz, it's that forty um, percent of the people who have been charged with murders um, were were serious repeat offenders, and the prosecutor just just let them out. But as you just said, a hundred and eighty six people in Marion County right now are being charged with murder. 31 of those people, of the 186, 31 were charged with the crime prior to being charged with murder. That's only 16%. That's not 40%. That's 16%. And then of that 31 people who had some sort of previous charge, only nine of those 31, which again is out of 186, only nine of those people um, were charged with a major uh, felony offense. The rest were either misdemeanors or low-level six felonies. So of the 186 people charged with murder in Marion County, only nine of them had serious priors. What do you say 
to to this narrative uh, because that's what drives the conversation is we're seeing these homicide reports and shootings every single day. Is it do the headlines make it seem worse than it is or or what is it? Where's this coming from? You know, I, I think part of it is just that that's frustrating to me is this is all publicly accessible information. Mm-hmm. You know, every, every, everyone who's charged with a, a murder, look them up on my case and you can see if they had a pending case, were they released on bond or not. And you can also see what the what the position of the prosecutor's office was. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 it also doesn't address why do we see an increase in violence and why are we seeing the uptick in violence? Uh, and, you know, you can't do anything to improve the situation if you're misdiagnosing the situation, mm-hmm. uh, which is what a lot of people, well, I shouldn't even say a lot of people, which is what some people uh, in the community are attempting to do. Uh, and, and so I think it's really important that we just talk about, okay, this is what the actual scope of the problem looks like, and then what can we do to, to actually address that violence? Because the violence is, you know, everyone agrees we have too much violence, the question becomes, okay, what's what's the answer and what does that solution look like? Uh, but you have to accurately diagnose the problem, and there are some people out there uh, who have no interest in doing that, uh, but also, you know, their interest is also self-serving because uh, they don't want to acknowledge their own role in, in the violence that we see in our city and how some of the issues that, that they do contribute to, to the violence that exists. And, and are the numbers that I threw out at you, are those correct? Nine people of the 186 had serious major felonies beforehand? Yeah, that's, that's 100% correct. And, and, you know, I think it goes to illustrate what we're actually dealing with here. Uh, you know, it is a sad reality that we are seeing more people have uh, their first offense be a, a non-fatal shooting or a homicide case. Uh, and so, again, the, the narrative of, well, it's just a bunch of people who have been uh, who are out on a pending case just is, is, is not accurate. Uh, and, you know, we probably need to do a better job of, of pushing back on that uh, lazy narrative. Uh, but it's funny to me because it's, it's all publicly available information. It's not like we're, we're hiding something here. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody can have access to this. Anybody can figure this out. Uh, but you got some folks out there who would, you know, not, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So, and, Matt, and from what what I'm seeing out of those numbers is we are seeing a higher number of first time offenders committing murder. First time folks who have no record, we're seeing a higher number of them committing murders. Is that right? It, it, it's it's accurate, and you know, I think one of the reasons we see that is just this issue of. Uh, when we talk to people or when we evaluate cases, a lot of times what we're seeing is uh, it's just regular petty disputes that oftentimes end up in violence. And people don't have that huge, lengthy criminal history. It's people who have a gun. Uh, oftentimes the person who ends up deceased has a firearm, and they get into some sort of dispute or argument. And because everybody has a gun, it heightens the tension in every situation and every confrontation and someone loses their life. Uh, and unfortunately, we've seen a number of those types of cases uh, where you don't necessarily see the, the criminal history that maybe you would see uh, five or six years ago. And, and that's something that is, is disturbing, uh, but also points to greater issues and greater problems that we have in our community. Uh, I think it's also why you see the number of road rage incidents have skyrocketed, uh, because it's a situation where people just don't know how to handle their issues without resorting to violence or, you know, 
resulting to using a firearm. Uh, we are on the air this morning with Prosecutor Ryan Mears looking back at 2021, looking ahead to 2022. In just a few moments, I'll start taking your calls on our live line. Prosecutor, i got to ask you some questions about the bail project. You know you done start some controversy this week, right? I did. What did I do? <laughs> well, you got folks talking about this bail project situation. Earlier this week, you were on uh, Abdul Hakim Shabazz's show. And you talked about the bail project and you said that they were getting some sort of special treatment because, you, as you said on the show, uh, they get to keep money from the bails that they make. You said on the show that other nonprofits and bondsmen don't get to do that. So you said that uh, the bail project is getting some special treatment uh, from the Marion County judges. Now, it has been reported by Fox 59's Courtney Crown that those same Marion County judges are saying what you said is not true. The judges say the fact that the bail project gets to keep the money is no different from any other nonprofit who can bail people out or any other bail bondsman situation. So have you heard that? Have you heard that controversy? I, 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 I have not. Um, you know, I, the, 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 the facts speak for themselves. Um, and you know, the, the, the agreement is, is out there. I, I did not see, uh, any response from, from the judges. Uh, there's, there's probably people who are listening right now who have paid a cash bail, who saw fines, fees, or costs, uh, taken out of, uh, their bail, uh, when, when they paid a cash bond. Uh, and so if, if there's a, a, a discrepancy there, I, I would love to learn more about that. Um, there's, a letter or an agreement that that's out there. And, and so anybody is free to, to look at that. And if other individuals are able to, to take advantage of, of that opportunity, um, I'm certainly not aware of it, uh, but would love to, to hear more discussion about that issue. Uh, if that is true. All right. Yeah. Um, the, the, there has been lots of discourse, especially on, uh, online about the bail project, because as you know, um, they have bailed out uh, three people who went on to uh, commit uh, some sort of, of violent act, either attempted murder or murder. And so folks are, are looking for someone to blame in all of this. As you know, in every situation, somebody's got to take some blame. And folks right now are pointing that blame at the bail project. So when it comes to do you still believe that the bail project is getting special treatment that nobody else is getting? Well, yeah, I, I, certainly when, whenever I've seen bails paid, uh, fines, fees, costs, and potentially restitution is deducted from, from whatever amount is returned to someone who paid a, a, a cash bail. Um, and, and so if there are other individuals who are taking advantage uh, of that real situation or, or relationship where they're in a position where they don't have to do that, Certainly, I'm not aware of it, uh, but, uh, you know, if other people, if there's other nonprofits, I'm, I'm curious as to who they are. All right. Okay. So we're so you're standing by that statement from earlier this week. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, again, I'm, if, if there's, if there's a, another entity or group out there that uh, is, is receiving that benefit, uh, certainly I'm, I'm not aware of that, but uh, if it's out there, you know, then we'll, we can have the, the conversation about that organization as well. All right. Special treatment or no special treatment. I still sense that there is some frustration uh, coming from you toward the bail project 
And is, is it because of the, the lack of vetting that they've said that they do? And throughout the week, there's been, you know, folks have been looking into um, the bail project. And one of the things that they have said is that they don't always look at the probable cause affidavits before they go and bail somebody out. They go to My Case, which is a website that we all have access to. And the goal of the bail project is to get people out of jail who have these low-level offenses. Um, And three of the people that they have bailed out for such offense went on to commit something um, very violent. I sense frustration from other people, but I think I'm sensing it from you too, from the other things that I've heard you say about the bail project and their lack of vetting. Is that accurate? Well, I, I think anytime we talk about bail, I think hopefully everybody's concern is we want the bail process to be fair. And we don't want people just sitting in jail uh, because they don't have $250 or they don't have $500 to, to pay a bail. I don't think that benefits the community. I don't think that benefits the criminal justice system. Uh, and so the bail process needs to be fair to everyone in our community, including those who don't have financial resources. But the other side of the bail equation is we have to make sure that we're keeping our community safe and that we're doing a job, a good job of identifying the individuals who uh, have a high risk of reoffending, especially a high risk of reoffending as it relates to violent crime. And, you know, I think in the situations that you mentioned, uh, we as the prosecutor's office did what we could do under the circumstances, which is uh, we could object to the reduction in bail and we could ask that uh, the bail remain the same. And in those situations, you know, our, our comments uh, were, were overruled, uh, which is the way the system works. Um, and, and so I just hope all of us keep in mind uh, that when we have this conversation about bail, we need to, to make sure that we're appropriately balancing both of those interests. Uh, but I do think the equation changes when we get into that situation as it relates to violent crime. And, you know, we need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can uh, to help protect the community. And, and unfortunately, there are some individuals uh, who have not earned the right necessarily to, to have uh, pretrial release. Um, and, you know, I think the, the community ultimately benefits if, if there is a higher bail imposed on those individuals. Uh, but I'm, I'm the prosecutor. There's a defense attorney. There's a judge. There's other people involved in the process who have different perspectives. Uh, and, you know, I try to be respectful of everybody's perspective and where everybody's coming from. Uh, as, as we work through this process. As you said, you're the prosecutor. You don't decide who necessarily goes to jail or even what the punishment is going to be. You just you look and see, has a crime been committed? Um, and the judges and so forth down the line decide what that punishment is going to be. Do you feel uh, that there needs to be, at, at, at minimum, more checking uh, and looking into the people who are, are getting released? Well, I think the, the, as it relates to violent crime, yes, I, I think right now we have the worst of both worlds. Uh, you know, I think there are people who still get arrested on driving offenses. There are people who still get arrested for possession of marijuana who have to go through the, the jail system. And I don't think that benefits the community. And I don't think uh, that makes sense. I think uh, Representative Cherish Pryor is working really hard to get a summons law that will hopefully eliminate a lot of those low-level offenses requiring people to go to the Marion County Jail. And I think if we do that, that's going to free up more opportunity to have a more meaningful hearing and a more meaningful discussion on people uh, who are, you know, who have violent crime. Uh, and, and what can we do to present 
a, a more clear argument to the court, uh, to the judiciary to hopefully impose higher bonds. But I think that starts with uh, making sure that, that there's an, an actual hearing process uh, involved there. Uh, so, you know, judges are able to make information based uh, on the best information available, uh, but there has to be more time uh, provided before uh, a bond is imposed. Uh, and I'm hopeful uh, that those types of, of small changes can, can hopefully improve uh, the bail system, because I think regardless of what your perspective is, uh, the current system has produced outcomes that haven't always benefited the community. And if that's the case, then hopefully everybody sits back and says, "Okay, what can we do to to try to improve things? All right. We're on the air this morning with prosecutor Ryan Mears. He's been taking my questions for the first half of the show. Now it's time to turn it over to you, our listeners. We're going to take a quick break. So the phone lines are already on fire. Call us 317-239-9696. 317-239-9696. We are back in three minutes and I'll turn the floor over to our listeners to talk directly to prosecutor Ryan Mears when Open Lines with Cameron Riddle continues. We want to hear from you, your thoughts, your views, your voice. We are your eye on the community. It's Open Lines on Hot 96.3. Let's get back to Open Lines, your eye on the community on Hot 96.3. And we are back here on Open Lines on 106.7 WTLC and Hot 96.3 on this Sunday, December 12th. On our live line this morning, spending most of the hour with us is Prosecutor uh, Ryan Mears. Prosecutor, are you back with us? I'm here. All right, it's time to take some phone calls. I got one last question before I turn it over to our listeners. This time next year, you will be coming to the end of your term uh, as prosecutor. You took over for the now late uh, Terry Curry, who I know was one of your uh, mentors. Um, This time next year, will you uh, be getting ready to start, or do you hope to be getting ready to start a second term as prosecutor? Will you be running again? Yeah, I will. And, you know, I think the the reason I'm excited about that possibility and the reason I want to run again is, you know, I've seen the tremendous amount of progress we've been able to make on on a number of issues in in the office. Uh, You know, I'm a big believer that uh, nothing stops a bullet like a job. And, you know, we've done a lot of things to help get uh, people employed as it relates uh, to helping people get criminal convictions taken off their record so they can be uh, employed or make sure they're not underemployed. We've done tremendous work in helping people get their driver's licenses reinstated because oftentimes that's a barrier to people participating in their kids' lives or getting to and from work. Uh, and so we've done tremendous work on that. And then we've also had tremendous success in the courtroom. Uh, you know, we've never had a higher conviction rate as it relates to homicide cases uh, than we've had this year. And uh, I think that's especially important given the challenges that the pandemic presented to us, uh, which made it really difficult for us to actually take cases to trial. Uh, But we've never had a higher conviction rate. And I think that speaks uh, to the quality of the investigations that that IMPD has provided to us, 
but also the level of ad- advocacy that we've done in the courtroom uh, to make sure that people are held accountable on violent crime. And, and so we do think there's a lot of positives to continue to build on. Uh, and I think we're well positioned to help the community moving in uh, to 2022 and beyond based on some of the things that we're doing both inside and outside of the courtroom. Uh, but we as the prosecutor's office, you know, we have to be there to try to help the community and, and then try to help people. Uh, and we just can't look at ourselves in that traditional role of, well, let's just prosecute everybody and put everybody in jail uh, because we've seen that that hasn't worked well for our community. Uh, it doesn't produce just and fair results. And uh, we think we're moving in the right direction. All right. I don't know if that's the first time you've said that publicly or on somebody's show or anything, but... Uh, if it is, great. That's breaking news. The prosecutor, Ryan Mears, <laughs> says he is going to run for uh, re-election in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, 317-239-9696. 317-239-9696. Folks, I'm going to ask everybody to keep your question to uh, 30 seconds because i got a lot of people who want to get in. Uh, before we wrap up the show, we got another segment to do before we close out the show. So keep it to 30 seconds so we can get through as many people as possible in the next 15 minutes. Caller on line one. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, how you doing, Cameron? Prosecutor Mears. This is Brother Motep, and I'll keep it to definitely the 30 seconds. And I hope you run again, too. I voted for you last time. I'll, I'll vote for you again. Support everything you're doing. Uh, just uh, two quick points. It'll probably take 10 seconds apiece. Number one, uh, something that disturbs me and I think it should disturb everyone in the community is, is that there's still, there's still an attitude of whenever these stories come across or if someone has been arrested by the police, maybe not even charged by your office yet, that uh, we still have a guilty until innocent, proven innocent mentality. I think it's just, it's just one of the worst mentalities. My mother's attorney, been attorney 50 years. She says it's one of the worst mentalities she's ever encountered is this idea that every time someone sees an arrest or something like that, it's an automatic guilty until proven innocent. That is a true flaw in what should be a, a, a fair and impartial justice. And what would be your thought about that? And then number two, I read uh, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones a lot. She's the author of the 1619 Project. And she put this out yesterday on her Twitter page. Why are journalists, and this covers Cameron now, why are journalists still, after all the evidence that law enforcement lies, that crime stats are trending down, that law enforcement has a vested interest in stories about rising crime, still allow law enforcement to drive so much coverage, like the FOP and Rick Snyder, along with Charles Hess. And this is coming from an article from Slate.com. The police lie all the time. Can anything stop them? What would be your thoughts about that? Because it seems like that they, that Rick Snyder and them are not criminologists, they're not sociologists, they're not uh, psychologists, but yet they keep trying to drive, be the ones that are talked to and, and, and driving this issue. Uh, I have a problem with that, too. So I want to get your thoughts about that. The guilty until innocent thought process amongst the public and then the, the law enforcement uh, lying and, and, and being the ones driving this issue all the time when we should be talking to criminologists, sociologists, psychologists, and things like and, and yourself and things like that. Thank you. Thank you, MLT. Prosecutor, to you. Yeah, I, I think one of the responses that I would have that is, number one, you're absolutely correct. I mean, everyone is innocent until proven guilty, and everybody enjoys that that presumption. And I think it's important for everybody to keep that in mind because, you know, pre-trial, they are just allegations uh, until someone's actually convicted. Uh, and, you know, the, the comments about the, the media coverage, I mean, one of the things that's been disappointing to me is just how the media has covered the, the homicide numbers this year. Uh, it, it's been treated like it was, you know, Hank Aaron breaking the home run record. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Uh, and I think that's really disturbing. And, you know, because that's how it's treated, there's not a lot of substantive discussion about what can be done to help try to prevent homicides. Why are people prone to violence? Uh, we're not having really important discussions on those issues. Uh, it's just the numbers are too high, and who can we easily point the finger at? Uh, and, and I think that's doesn't necessarily, certainly doesn't benefit the community, but also doesn't improve the situation or make things any better. Uh, a lot of what we're talking about deals with the systemic issues, uh, but it's a lot easier for the media to throw a number up on the screen and let's cover it like you know someone's breaking a home run record. And I, I think that uh, is, is really disappointing to see, uh, but it's been consistent throughout the entire year. And I will say it definitely felt like as we got into within a hundred of last year's um, homicide total that it did start to feel like, okay, we're counting down. We've got five more people and we'll have, you know, outdone last year. It did feel like that to me, especially. Uh, 317-239-9696, 317-239-9696. We're on the air with the prosecutor. Keep your question to 30 seconds. Caller on line two. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, Cameron. How y'all doing this morning? Good morning, sir. How are you, Paul? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, first of all, uh, something that uh, the prosecutor said I want to make a correction about. Uh, the criminal justice system is a business, and it's based on money. So y'all making money off of people that's in the jail or rather out of jail. A lot of the black uh, shootings going on, uh, a lot of uh, personal frustrations and different things. Uh, these mass murders are done by white folks. Y'all need to sit down and talk about what's really going on here. In 2022, I hope to see that uh, uh, black folks has been educated themselves because we're going to have to stop these white folks. 15 That's seconds, the bottom line. Wait a minute, I'm not done. I've got one more question. 15 when, seconds. Get it. I want to know when, I want to know when, when does a felon stop paying his debt to society? I'm sorry, Cameron, that y'all don't like what I say. I don't have an issue with what down. you say. We you just got to do it in 30 we, seconds. I, I'm just saying that, I, I'm, I'm just saying there's a serious problem here and we're not addressing it. All right. We're not addressing it. Thank you. No, no, no. You have great questions. I just want you to do it in 30 seconds, and the prosecutor is going to answer it. And I don't have an issue with you asked. I just want you to do it in 30 seconds, and it took you 43. Thank you, sir. I literally have a stopwatch going. Thank you, Paul. Prosecutor I got you. To you. Okay. All right, Cameron. All right. Thank you. Uh, but, yeah, well, Paul, you bring, you bring up it relates to, to the issue of the, the felony. Uh, and, and when do people stop paying their debt to society? And, and that's why we put so much time and effort into helping people get felonies taken off their record. Uh, because we've seen the impact that can have. And, you know, I say this all the time, but it's something someone told me is, he said, I was okay with doing the time. I just didn't know it was going to be a life sentence because it's mm. everywhere. Uh, and we want to try to be helpful in, in that regard. 317-239-9696. 317-239-9696. That's the number to get on the air and ask your question directly to the prosecutor. Caller on line three. Good morning. Who's this? Hello? Caller on line three. Once, twice, see you later. Caller on line one. Good morning. Who's this? I can hear you. Hello, this is Amanda. Hello, honey. This is Amanda. Hi, Amanda. I would like to know why uh, my son's father, he actually has nine pages of criminal history, nothing but carrying handguns, shooting at people, etc. He just went to jail in April for rape, criminal confinement, and battery with bodily injury. They let him out. I don't understand why you guys are letting people out like this. 
And I do agree with the last caller about when does a felon stop paying his debt to society? I mean, you know, yes, you serve your time and, you know, you do it, but it should be done and over with. And it's not fair to these felons that do go through that. So those are my questions right there. And thank you, guys. And y'all have a great day. Thank you so much, Amanda. 317-239-9696. 317-239-9696. couple more minutes with the prosecutor for you to call in. Prosecutor, can you answer Amanda's question? Well, I, I don't know anything about the specifics of that case, but I mean, she she touched on two issues. You know, when when is a when is a felon done with their time, and then also uh, why aren't more people in jail? Uh, and and those are kind of mutually exclusive propositions a lot of times. Uh, but I think it also kind of underscores the complexity of the challenges and the the issues that we face in the criminal justice system. You know, I've, I've already kind of shared my thoughts on bail mm-hmm. uh, and, and where we're at with that. But I totally agree on the felony issue is, you know, we have to missing people after they, they have paid their debt, after their sentence is over, after ourselves, OK, what can we do to help per- this person? reintegrate into the community and then also what can we do to try to help get that person housing and a job because those are two of the biggest obstacles people face uh and i think one thing that people don't appreciate is the challenge that it is for uh, someone who has a prior felony conviction to rent in the city of indianapolis there is real housing discrimination against people who have criminal histories it's really difficult for them to secure housing uh, and if you don't have housing, if you don't have those basic necessities, uh, that is not setting you up for success moving forward. And and that's why, you know, we got to do a better job of, of helping those individuals when they come to, you know, back to our community. Let's go back to the phones. 317-239-9696. Caller on line two. Good morning. Who's this? Hello? All right. We'll come back to that one. Caller on line three. Good morning. Who's this? Hello. Hello, you're live on the air. Who's this? Yes, this is Jordan. Jordan, you got 30 seconds. Hit it, my man. All right. So my question is about what the plan is for the bail system, the bail system. Because I have people that uh, went into jail and couldn't get out because they couldn't afford bail. And so while in jail, they ended up, you know, picking up a charge or picking up some kind of charge that kind of turned into a domino effect. So my question is what the plan is for people that maybe were initially arrested, could not afford bail, what the plan is for those people down the line. Thank you so much for the call. Prosecutor? Yeah, and, and I think that that's why where we have to do a better job of identifying who's in the jail and why are people you know, being turned through the jail. And I think that's why I think Sheriff Pryor's bill is hopefully a good start as it relates to summonses. Uh, and so it's going to be one of those situations where, hey, as opposed to going to, to jail, if you have a possession of marijuana case or a driving case, uh, let's not send you to the Marion County Jail. Let's give you a summons and tell you to reappear in court to, to minimize the disruptions on, on that person's life. And the other thing that does is that frees us up, hopefully, to have uh, more space and more opportunity uh, to deal with the individuals who are charged and accused of serious offenses. And hopefully we can have a bail system in place for those individuals that, uh, you know, does a better job of balancing that risk equation of your presumption of innocence, but also uh, understanding that there's a, a potential threat to public safety. All right, let me squeeze in one more call. Caller on line one. Good morning. Who's this? Good morning. Good morning. You're live on the air. What's on your mind? 30 seconds. Man, this RB, I got to defend in the prosecutors we have because I was, I'm a felony. 
I've been free over 20-some years. Record of sponge, government, those fellas got to get up and want it. You got to get out there and want it and make it happen. R&B, thank you so much for the call. I appreciate it, man. One more call, 317-239-9696. Caller on line two. Good morning. Who's this? Hello? I can hear this person breathing, so I know they're there. But, hey, that just means we're going we're gonna to end it right there because uh, i got another segment to get to. Prosecutor, the phone lines are still ringing, so we could probably stay here for a whole other hour and keep talking about this. Let me ask you finally, you know, you've, got, you've done a lot of work with uh, marijuana, you might have heard me at the top of the show say the governor's no he's not opposed to marijuana being legalized, but he wants it being done at the at the federal level. That's one thing you've been heavily pushing on and not uh, prosecuting folks who are, uh, for whatever reason, got pulled over or whatever, and then marijuana is found on them. Um, I ask you that in conjunction with this other question. Some people say, uh, you know, is is Ryan Mears, as you now are running for election, is Ryan Mears just some liberal prosecutor who just wants to let everybody out of jail? No, I'm someone who wants to treat people fairly. And I, I think the, the issue of marijuana is a really good representation of what's wrong with the criminal justice system. Uh, we, too, see too many black and brown people who find themselves in the criminal justice system for possession of marijuana. Yet, if they were at Butler, if they were at Marion, if they were at any of the other uh, academic institutions in the city, they'd never find themselves in the Marion County Jail. And, and that's uh, the reality. And too many people are treated differently uh, because of where they live uh, or what they look like. And marijuana is a perfect example of that. Uh, when you look at marijuana usage rates and who finds themselves in the criminal justice system, uh, it is undeniable that it disproportionately impacts people of color. And if we all know and acknowledge that that's out there and no one's willing to do anything about it, uh, we are, you know, we're, we're, we're complicit in, in that injustice. And that's not something that we should do uh, or want to be a part of. And, and so I think these committees and we need to study the issue. No, we don't. Uh, there is more than enough mm-hmm. empirical evidence to tell us what's going on with marijuana. Uh, there's more than enough empirical evidence to let us know the impact that it has had on the criminal justice system uh, and how it has treated different members of our community uh, unfairly. And, and so I don't know how people in good conscience just continue to allow this to occur. Uh, but the time to act is now uh, because I think it sends a really strong message to the community uh, when we talk about criminal justice reform, it has to start with everybody being treated fairly. And uh, this is a really good example of how we can help begin that process of leveling the playing field, uh, which currently uh, does not always uh, seem fair to a lot of people. And, and it's difficult to argue with that. All right. Prosecutor Ryan Mears, thank you so much for spending uh, almost a full hour with us uh, on this Sunday. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Happy holiday season to everybody out there. And was was that breaking news about you running for prosecutors? That's the first time you've said that? Yeah, I think so. Happy to do it here. Hey, I'm happy you did it here right here on Open Lines. Prosecutor Ryan Mears, we'll talk to you again in 2021. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Thank you. All right, more Open Lines coming up in just a few moments. Uh, We will have all the details on Christmas holiday help. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in three minutes with all of those details. More Open Lines after this. We want to hear from you, your thoughts, your views, your voice. We are your eye on the community. It's Open Lines on Hot 96.3.
keeping you connected to what's happening in our city. It's Open Lines on Hot 96.3. And we are back here on Open Lines uh, with Cameron Riddle on 106.7 WTLC and Hot 96.3 on this Sunday morning, the last five minutes of the show. I have information that I want to share with you. Uh, and that is how 2,000 families, 2,000 kids can get what they need for Christmas. Uh, we're talking about everything from uh, coats, from toys to clothes. Uh, Alicia Jackson is on our live line right now to tell us how you're helping people. Alicia, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So glad to have you. You're going to be you're busy. You got a lot going on. Tell us what you have coming up. Uh, you've got two different giveaways. I do. I am Alicia Jackson from Pride Academy. And on Saturday, December the 18th, as we always do, this is our 19th year, uh, we will be kicking off at 5 a.m. at Cole's uh, Blessing Children who have been, who have had parents who might have been slain in the streets of Indiana. And then also Blessing Children who might have a parent or parents in prison. So we're going to be doing Clothe a Child. We're taking over 200 children shopping at 5 a.m. at Kohl's. But then we're scooting over uh, into my old stomping ground at 11 a.m. And at 31st in Baltimore. And the um, title of my event is always Be More at the Balt. Uh, we go back into uh, the community. We'll be right at the basketball courts, giving away as we always do every holiday season. Come on out and be blessed. But this year I'm bringing folks who are providing jobs. Um, Amazon will be there. Fast and all. UPS. Synergy Healthcare. Um, Eli Lilly. And so many other companies. Uh, Garrett's Barbecue will be there feeding the first 1,000 children. Uh, we also have uh, another food truck who will be feeding as well. So come on out. Have a great day. We'll be giving away tons of toys, thanks to Toys for Tots. So several sponsors for the event. But we're just coming out to be a blessing. Um, and my endeavor is that we shall give away almost 30,000 items this season. Wow. So I'm just grateful to be a part of it and looking forward to seeing everybody next Saturday. All right, so two events next Saturday at 5 a.m., meet at Kohl's. That is for anyone who has had uh, a, a child who has lost a parent to gun violence or, or what any type of violence, but also a parent who may be uh, incarcerated right now. That's at 5 a.m. at Kohl's, right, Ms. Jackson? Yes, it is. Um, many of the people have already pre-registered, but if anyone ha is in that situ type of situation, we have a few more open slots. They can email me at prideacademyinc at yahoo.com. And that is at the Coles store on Crawfordsville Road in Speedway. That's from 5 a.m. until 7 a.m. That one you need to reach out ahead of time and say, hey, we need some help. But you've got this second event where you're going to be feeding, uh, as you just said, feeding a thousand, uh, the first thousand kids who come in. That's Be More at the Ball. That's for everybody starting at 12 noon, right? That's correct. All right, give us the address for that one, uh, the one that's for everybody. Uh, meet us at the basketball courts. Of course, there's no address for the basketball courts, but it sits 
right behind Wheeler's Boys Club. And the close of 31st in Baltimore. The close address to that is 3091 Baltimore Avenue. 3091 Baltimore Avenue. And what are you giving out at that one? You got that's that's the big one. That's for everybody. And they also want you to dress warm because due to COVID, they'll be outside at the basketball courts. What are you giving away? Uh, toys, coats, shoes, food, you name it. We're giving it away. All right. Uh, if you know someone who needs some help, if you need some help, it's been a tough year for everybody. Get on out to be more at the ball. Miss Alicia Jackson, thank you so much for uh, giving us a little bit of time and letting us know what you have going on. You're literally helping thousands of people uh, next Saturday. Again, 5 a.m. at Coles. That one you need to basically pre-register for. Give us that email one more time. Pride Academy Inc at yahoo.com and then at noon meet her at be more at the Balt 3091 baltimore avenue anybody can show up any rules on that one no rules come uh, on out and be blessed all right come out be blessed and uh miss alicia jackson again thank you so much uh we'll thank have, you we will have this information on our website hot96.3.com and wtlcfm.com coming up here in a couple of minutes miss miss alicia jackson uh merry christmas Merry Christmas. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of Open Lines. Thank you to all of our callers. Hey, if we had a longer show, we'd still be on the phone because the phone line is still ringing with people who want to talk to Prosecutor Ryan Mears. We thank him for coming on the show uh, today and spending almost an hour with us, as well as breaking some news that he is going to uh, run for re-election for Marion County Prosecutor. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of Open Lines, a jam-packed edition of the show. We are back same time, same station next Sunday, live at 8. Oh, by the way, y'all. I went out and got my booster shot this weekend. People just keep getting too close uh, to me all up in my personal space. People getting too relaxed. I did go get my booster on Friday. I was prepared to have, uh, you know, a day to relax because everyone said, hey, that booster knocks you down. I didn't have any symptoms, y'all. So that's my third shot. That's my Pfizer. Uh, As I told you, these cases are getting out of control. Once again, protect yourself with Omicron, with Delta. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. We'll be back same time, same station next Sunday, live at 8.